So reading from Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 to 13. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Good morning. I'm Matt. Good to be together. I'll make use of Mike's magic table back there. If anyone knows how Mike did that magic trick, please come and tell me afterwards. That was uh, quite something. I didn't expect a bunny rabbit to come up there. Uh, Of course, we're looking at the transfiguration this morning, something a bit more than uh, just a magic trick, but it's a great passage and I'm looking forward to thinking about it a bit with you. Uh, Can I begin by asking you a question? Uh, Who do you listen to? Who do you listen to? Now, obviously, we hear lots of sounds every day. We hear uh, the birds singing. We hear traffic on the road. Over the last few days, we've heard a lot of the rain falling. We have conversations. We hear people talking. Uh, But who do you listen to? And I mean kind of really listen to. Who do you listen to in a way that makes you Uh, Take on board what you're hearing and allow what you're hearing to shape things about who you are. Who do you listen to? In society today, there are lots of people who are listened to, aren't there? Uh, There's people like celebrities, influencers, uh, people who are famous, movie stars, pop stars. Uh, You know, if Beyonce writes a song, people listen to it. Actually, if Beyonce you know, wears a certain outfit, people notice that and they shape their decisions about the fashion that they're going to wear based on what someone like that does. It's someone who uh, is listened to a lot. Of course, we do a lot of listening today through the internet and things like uh, social media. You go online and you listen to what other people are saying. And of course, there's all these websites like Facebook and Instagram, and they're all shaped so that uh, when you log on, you're presented with things you want to hear so that you can listen to those things. There's all these algorithms that spit out the things that you're interested in. Uh, So for me, whenever I go into Facebook or something like that, it normally comes up first with a few posts about cricket. Uh, So on Thursday, I was listening to uh, lots of jokes about India being knocked out of the World Cup, things like, you know, Steve Smith's carrying Australia and Joe Root's carrying England and British Airways are carrying India. Uh, But then, of course, 
Of course, on Friday I logged on and there was jokes like, uh, uh, you know, no amount of sandpaper could save Australia today, that sort of thing. Uh, what I listen to when I go on the internet. Uh, but of course there are a lot of other things we can listen to too. There are deeper things like uh, books perhaps. You might have favourite authors who you love to listen to. Uh, I've always loved listening to uh, C.S. Lewis. Uh, he got me as a kid when I read the Narnia books. Uh, and then as an adult I grew to love reading his non-fiction stuff about Christianity and philosophy. I wonder if there are authors that you like to listen to. Uh, maybe it depends on the topic. Maybe it's uh, Stephen Covey on leadership. Maybe it's Scott Pape uh, when it comes to how to manage your money. Uh, maybe you don't read. Maybe you're more of a podcast person. Uh, there's all sorts of interesting things you can listen to on there. Who do you listen to? Of course, it might just be uh, family and friends that you listen to most of all. Often a friend that we respect can be the most powerful voice of all when it comes to shaping who we are. Who do you listen to? And when it comes to who you choose to listen to and really listen to, where does Jesus sit? Do you think Jesus deserves a voice in amongst all the other things that we hear in life? Who do you listen to? At the point we're up to in the book of Matthew, uh, we've been tracking this idea of this new kingdom which Jesus is inaugurating. I've been hearing lots of great things about this kingdom, this kingdom of heaven, uh, and about Jesus, who's the king of this kingdom. Uh, we've heard how the kingdom is uh, worth giving things up to, up, up to be part of that kingdom. It's, it's valuable, like buried treasure. Uh, we've seen that Jesus' kingdom is marked by compassion. We've, uh, we saw last week Peter's eureka moment as he really realised uh, that Jesus is the Christ. He is the king of this new kingdom. Uh, But as we've been going the last few weeks as well, you might have noticed that uh, there's another kind of theme coming into Matthew's Gospel, and it's quite a dark one. We've seen that Jesus is a king, but he's also a king who's going to suffer. As soon as Peter had that eureka moment, Jesus uh, told him that he was going to die. Matthew's Gospel has taken this darker turn. We had John the Baptist being killed as well, Jesus predicting his own death. He spoke about those coming after him, uh, perhaps having to meet the same fate. If this was a movie, we're kind of in that second half where the tension starts to rise and you're not sure exactly how things are going to end up. And of course, it makes you wonder, if we're thinking about the kingdom, uh, is, what sort of king is Jesus if he's going to die? Is, is he a king worth following if he's going to die? Is he a king worth listening to? So the story of Jesus is getting darker And as it's getting darker, our story today gives us this moment of incredible brightness. It shows us Jesus the King as he really is. He literally changes. And verse 2 says, his face shines like the sun. God himself speaks these words, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Today I want us to see that This passage teaches us about why Jesus is worth listening to. There are many things we can listen to. This passage shows us that Jesus is worth listening to. He's a king worth listening to. How does this passage show us that? Well, it it shows us, and I've put this in your outline, so you're welcome to look at that if that's helpful. It shows us, firstly, who Jesus is. It shows us what Jesus came to do. 
And then having thought about those things, I want us to think about our response, uh, which is listening to Jesus, who Jesus is, what he came to do, and how we should respond. Uh, So first, what what does the passage teach us about who Jesus is? I'd encourage you to open your Bibles and have a look at the start of our passage. Uh, The story begins like this. After six days, James took with him Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And our story today, there's so much imagery about uh, from the Old Testament and from earlier parts of the Bible, and it starts right in this first verse, uh, the, starting with this high mountain that they go up in the Old Testament. Uh, high mountains are often places where people would go to meet with God. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of going up a high mountain and kind of feeling like you're uh, closer to God. I certainly have felt that before, although maybe it's just the kind of scale of nature that you get to see from being up a high mountain. But uh, that feeling's not a new idea. Even right back in the Old Testament, high mountains were often the place where people would go to meet with God. Uh, So Jesus led them up a high mountain in verse 2. There he was transfigured before them, changed before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. So in verse 1 we have this mountain. We already have imagery from the Old Testament. Now we have two great figures from the Old Testament. Moses, who's uh, particularly from the first five books of the Bible, led the people of Israel out of Egypt. And Elijah, the great prophet, who you can read about in the book of 1 Kings. And not only that, Jesus is transfigured and shines like the sun. It's an incredible scene. Jesus shining bright as light, Elijah, Moses. I wonder what you would do if you saw a scene like that. Actually, we get the reaction of one person in the next verse, don't we? Peter. This incredible scene. Look what what Peter says. Lord, if you wish, I'll put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I don't know if you know anyone who uh, is the type of person that when there's a big moment, you just can't be silent, you can't just keep your mouth shut, you just have to say something. Uh, I've certainly been guilty of that at times, especially when I'm playing sport and there's an umpire who I think's made a bad decision. Uh, It's really important sometimes just to keep your mouth shut. I do wonder if this incredible moment, Jesus shining bright as the sun, Moses, Elijah, I wonder if Peter made the right decision to open his mouth. Uh, It kind of reminds me, Uh, A couple of years ago, I was at this uh, Christian event and we were singing great songs of worship. We were singing that song, uh, you might know it, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. Uh, We got to the end, this beautiful kind of moment of praise. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praises. Beautiful moment. Everyone was uh, feeling great praise for God. Uh, And just at that moment, the person next to me uh, probably should have stayed silent. He says, Hey, Matt. Have you ever thought what it'd be like to have a thousand tongues? I mean, like, would you have this giant head with, like, room for a thousand tongues? Or would the tongues be really tiny? Like, you'd have a thousand tongues kind of crammed in there. How how does that even work? Perhaps it was a time when it would have been better to remain silent. I I don't know if this is the case for Peter here. If it would have been better for him to remain silent when Jesus is shining bright as the sun and Moses and Elijah are there talking with him. Whatever the case, he gets interrupted anyway. Verse 5, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. There's so much imagery from the Old Testament in this whole passage. A lot of it goes back to the book of Exodus. 
Uh, it's worth thinking about that for a little while, I think. In Exodus, uh, God is leading the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery. And uh, I don't know if you know, but God takes a form when he's leading them out. He takes the form of a cloud, a bright shining cloud during the day, a bright pillar of fire during the night. And God, in the form of this cloud, leads the people out of Egypt. He leads them to this mountain, uh, Mount Sinai, where there's this great scene. I've I've put a picture of this uh, scene on the screen just for us. Uh, It'd be good to look at the book of Exodus and look at this story, but uh, we don't quite have time because it's quite a long story spanning many chapters. But uh, this is the scene. You've got the people of Israel. You've got the mountain. You've got the bright shining cloud. Uh, God's up there meeting with Moses. I think this transfiguration passage that we're looking up to up today uh, has a very strong connection with this scene uh, from the Old Testament at Mount Sinai. I mean, both scenes involve meeting with God at the top of a tall mountain. Uh, in both scenes, God is represented by this bright, shining cloud. Uh, and of course, uh, Moses is in both scenes too. He appears at the transfiguration. And of course, he's the one that Jesus meets with, uh, God meets with uh, at Mount Sinai. So I reckon there's a pretty strong connection between the transfiguration that we're looking at today and this uh, story from Mount Sinai. Uh, Now in Exodus, uh, this cloud is powerful and dangerous. When the cloud comes down the mountain, there's roaring, there's earthquakes. Uh, When God comes to meet Moses, God says very clearly that everyone else has to stay well away from the mountain because if they touch the mountain, they'll die. And Moses goes up the mountain and then God sends him straight back down to say, hey, Remind them one more time, don't touch the mountain because you'll die. The presence of God is incredibly dangerous. And the problem in Exodus, of course, is that uh, the humans are sinful. They're sinful. They're not pure. God is a holy God. And for a holy God to be amongst sinful people is an incredibly dangerous thing. And there's this big question, how is a holy God going to dwell with this impure people? And what ends up happening in the book of Exodus is they set up this thing called a tabernacle, a big tent, and the presence of God comes to dwell, comes to live in this tabernacle, in this tent. That's basically this way of allowing God to live with the people without also destroying them. God wants to live with his people, but there's this problem. He's holy and they're impure. The tabernacle, the tent, is the solution. Now, I joke about Peter's comment about setting up shelters, but I do wonder if uh, perhaps Peter is actually more on the ball than uh, I thought at first glance. This is an idea I take from Tim Keller, and I think he might actually be right. Peter is literally asking to set up tents or to set up a tabernacle uh, for Jesus and for Moses and for Elijah. Perhaps he realises with the mountain, with the uh, bright shining Jesus, with Moses there, with the bright cloud coming down, uh, perhaps Peter realises what's going on, connects it to Exodus and the Old Testament and uh, perhaps actually setting up shelters and tents for uh, Jesus and Moses and Elijah, perhaps actually it's more about uh, protection, perhaps it's more about being safe given that the Holy God is about to come down and be present with people. Perhaps Peter realises that he needs protection, that humans can't bear the presence of God, that the only way God can come and safely be amongst people is in some kind of shelter, some kind of tabernacle. I'm not exactly sure if that's right, but in verse 5, I think perhaps exactly what Peter fears happened. He, he wants to set up this tabernacle, but this glory cloud comes down and interrupts him, covers them, and this is it. I wonder if Peter and James and John were 
they were in the very presence of God. They were maybe worried about how they were going to survive being in God's presence. I mean, what does it say in verse 6? When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. They were terrified because they realised they were about to be in the presence of God and that's an incredibly dangerous thing for sinful people. The disciples fell face down to the ground, terrified, but what happens? Verse 7, Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Isn't that remarkable? They saw no one except Jesus. The meeting with God, the bright, shining glory of God, the danger of being in God's presence, the presence of Moses and Elijah, all of that fades away and all that is left is this man, Jesus. So actually, the scene is actually quite different from Mount Sinai. There is no danger here. Don't be afraid, Jesus says. The bright, shining glory of God which was enough to kill anyone who saw God back in the Old Testament, is now being expressed through the bright, shining person, Jesus. Let me say that again. The bright, shining glory of God, which was enough to kill anyone who saw God back in the Old Testament, is now being expressed through the bright, shining person, Jesus. A human being with real flesh, no more dangerous to touch or look at than me or you, And yet for a moment, the disciples saw him as he truly is, bright and shining, as white as light. The glory of God in a man. Isn't that incredible? I've got a verse from the book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews makes explicit what we're reading about in this story. Uh, It's chapter 1, verse 3. It says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory, and the exact representation of his being. When one meets Jesus, one meets God. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, God's glory in human form, the exact representation of his being. He's not just a pointer to God like Moses was or like Elijah was. He is the glory of God, the exact representation of his being. When Jesus speaks, God speaks. And so we must listen to him. It's remarkable, isn't it? Because all through the Bible, there's this big question of how a holy God can dwell with an impure people. And yet now Jesus has come, the very presence of God has come to be with people. He's come to be with sinful people and to seek and to save the lost. I think this is what this passage shows us about who Jesus is. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is uh, God himself, the exact representation of his being. The passage also shows us, though, secondly, what Jesus will do. shows us who Jesus is and also what Jesus will do. Uh, The second half of our passage, Jesus and his disciples uh, walk back down the mountain and in verse 10, the disciples ask this interesting question. Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? I think what's happened is the disciples have seen this incredible scene. They've finally got who Jesus is. Wow, this, this really is the Messiah. This really is the Son of God. Why Jesus? Why then are all the teachers of the Lord going around saying that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? Because if you're the Messiah, where was Elijah? 
The idea that Elijah the prophet was going to return before the Messiah comes from places in the Old Testament like Malachi 4. And it seems that the Jewish teachers believed that that's what was going to happen. Elijah was going to come and then the Messiah was going to come. So the disciples are thinking, I mean, if you really are the Messiah, Jesus, then what about Elijah? Wasn't he meant to come first? So if you've come, if you're the Messiah, do, do we miss him? Are they wrong? What's going on? And Jesus' answer is actually quite simple. Yes, in fact, Elijah has come. And Elijah came, in fact, in the form of John the Baptist. Now, whether or not Elijah and John the Baptist were literally the same person or whether it's just a, a correct interpretation of the Old Testament prophecy, I think is a bit unclear. But Elijah has come, Jesus said, and they didn't recognize him. And they killed him. And just like they killed him, they're going to kill me, says Jesus. Jesus is God, but what he's, what's he going to do? He's going to die. It's another reminder, Jesus is going to die. But why? Why is Jesus going to die? We've been talking about this massive problem of how a holy God can dwell with an impure people. You know, at the end of Matthew's Gospel in chapter 27, Jesus eventually does die. And at that time, many remarkable things happen. Uh, one of the incredible things that happen is that the temple in Jerusalem, the curtain, is torn into from top to bottom. The curtain is torn into in the temple. Uh, the temple, of course, was the replacement for what was originally the tabernacle, that tent we were talking about. The way in which God could be present with the people was now the temple and that curtain stopped people from getting into the presence of God. That curtain was there to keep people safe from the holy God. And of course, as we've been saying, the reason that humans could not bear to be in the presence of God was that God is holy and humans are sinful. There's this divide, which was the curtain. The sinfulness of humans could not stand before God. When Jesus died, he provided a way for sin to be no more. The sin of those who trust in Jesus was taken onto Jesus put to death on the cross, destroyed, atoned for. Through Jesus' death, humans can have sin dealt with and they can now cross that threshold. They can enter God's presence. We can be pure before God. And so from that moment on, the, temp the, the temple curtain was no longer required. Jesus has replaced the temple, actually, as the way in which people can meet God. The temple curtain tore to show that humans could once again enter God's presence. If you trust in Jesus, there is no need to fear. By his death, Jesus opened up a way for humans to once again have relationship with God, to once again have peace with God, to approach his throne and find mercy. Who is Jesus? He's the exact representation of God. What did he do? He died to open up a way for us to come into relationship with God, the Father. Jesus' death did not show that he was a weak king or a king that's not worth listening to. His death achieved something incredible. This morning, I don't know who you think Jesus is. It's a question we've been asking as we've been going through Matthew. It comes up again and again. What kind of man is this? Who do you think I am? If what Matthew is showing us today is correct, if this is a correct depiction of what happened, then Jesus really is God. He really is 
the exact representation of the Father. He is the glory of God in a man. And he died to show us the way to God the Father. If what Matthew is saying is correct, how should we respond? The great takeaway, I think, is what God says in verse 5. This is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. The way to respond to what we've seen to be true about Jesus is to listen to him. In our society today, there are so many different voices we can hear, so many different things we can listen to. But I think it's pretty obvious if you believe these things about Jesus, why we should listen to him, isn't it? Who better understands the world than the one who made it? If Jesus is God, he was there at creation. If Jesus is the one who would open up the way to know God, then listening to Jesus is ultimately the way to find peace with God. Listening to Jesus is the way to be saved. It's the way to be part of this new kingdom that uh, Jesus is building, the kingdom of heaven, which will last forever with this amazing king, Jesus. Of course, you might look at Jesus and uh, decide you don't think that Jesus is legitimately who he says he is, and uh, perhaps you think this depiction of Jesus is uh, inaccurate or a sham, and then, of course, it doesn't make sense to listen to Jesus. In fact, if it's a sham, you shouldn't listen to him at all. But if you do think Matthew is right in showing us that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, then we must listen to him. So how, how do we listen to Jesus? What does that look like? to listen to Jesus. One of the ways, of course, we listen to Jesus is what we're doing now. We uh, come to church every Sunday and every Sunday here at Trinity, we open the Bible and we read the words of God uh, and we think about what they mean. And actually, we're not satisfied with just, uh, just reading the words and just talking about them. We want to understand them correctly. Uh, and that is to understand what, it te- what they teach us about Jesus. We know in Jesus' day, the teachers of the law studied the Old Testament and uh, they studied it carefully, but they still totally missed the point uh, that the whole Bible is meant to be about Jesus. It's God's Word inspired by the Holy Spirit about the Son, about Jesus. We don't want to make that same mistake. That doesn't mean we you know, try to find Jesus you know, hidden in every verse somewhere or you know, try and find the letters Jesus as some sort of code in the Bible. Uh, we don't go overboard. The Bible's about lots of things, but we do... Try and work out what each part of the Bible teaches us about Jesus so that we can know him better. And so if you come to church on Sunday, you come for many reasons. Of course, you know, we all come to be friends and part of a great community together. Of course, you might come to serve one another. Of course, uh, we all come for the delicious free coffee. One of the reasons we gather on Sunday, though, is so that we can listen to Jesus. And so, of course, you're welcome at church any time, and we love it when people come and visit. And, of course, uh, for lots of us, we can't be here every week. We have holidays and work and uh, other commitments. Uh, but really, it is good to be at church as much as we can, isn't it? Because we want to be people who listen to Jesus. We don't want Jesus to just be one background voice in amongst all these other voices we're hearing. We want him to be the centre of our lives, the thing we listen to above everything else. Of course, we listen to Jesus uh, more than just here on Sunday mornings. We listen to him through the week when we read the Bible on our own, when we encounter him in his word. We listen to Jesus when we meet with community groups or with friends or we read the Bible and we speak about Jesus to one another. 
Whatever it looks like, we must listen to Jesus. Listening to Jesus is a big part of our youth group that we have on Sunday afternoons. Uh, We hear all the time, don't we, that for teenagers, they're bombarded with so many different messages from so many different angles. Really, what we're doing at youth group is we're trying to encourage those, those teenagers to think about listening to Jesus and actually to listen to Jesus above all those other messages that they're receiving. Whatever it looks like, we must listen to Jesus, the one who is God, the one who has brought us back into relationship with the Father. And of course, real listening means more than just kind of hearing and disregarding, doesn't it? We listen to all sorts of things, uh, some we disregard, some we take on board. When we're listening to Jesus, we're listening to the King, we're listening to God. We can't just dismiss what he has to say. Uh, Let's pray to him now. Dear God, we thank you for Jesus. Uh, We thank you for this story where for a moment the curtain was stripped back and we see Jesus as he truly is, as the glory of God in a man. We thank you that Jesus is your divine son, that he is king of the new kingdom he is building. Help us to listen to him. As we read your word, help us to see how it points to him. We thank you that through Jesus, the way is opened up for us to be saved and to come back into relationship with you, to have peace with you. We pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.